Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm going to pray for for Binga here now. Lord, we thank you for our brother. We thank you for his prep um, this morning, but just over many years following you. Um, Give us open hearts, receptive minds, Lord. Um, Ready us to hear what you have to say. Um, Make us people that expect to be shocked and and moved and challenged, um, questioned by your word, um, we pray. Use Binga again and just give him humility but confidence as he stands here, knowing that that you are powerful, that, that the truths that are in this passage apply to him even here in this moment. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello and good morning. Uh, welcome to Karish Church. If you haven't met me before, like Kevin said, my name is Banga, and I'm currently a grad student at the university here, and it's an honor. It really is an honor to stand here and bring God's word to you. Um, in case you weren't aware, I am originally from Nigeria, and uh, I used to live in a northeastern city. Uh, it's called Meduguri for anyone interested in geography who wants to look this up later. The nickname of the state that I lived in was called the Home of Peace. The same way Missouri is called the Show Me State. Unfortunately, though, my Home of Peace was marred by the presence of an active terrorist group. This group cast a shadow over our lives, and much of the time that my family and I lived there, we lived in fear. Fear of when the next bombing um, was going to come, fear of the next attack on the city. The military forces who were there to protect us, paid by our government, would often flee and run away and abandon their posts, leaving us vulnerable and even more afraid than we originally were. It really felt like my life was falling apart. I'm sure you can imagine that. And you might feel similar. You might feel like you've had an experience or an encounter in your life that shook you to the core of your being, that disrupted all your categories. Moments of uncertainty, fear, panic. What's next? I don't know. The truth is that both you and I 
we desperately need something or someone that will anchor us and shield us when trouble arises, when crisis comes our way. We need something to ground us, to hold us, to secure us, to shelter us. And the psalmist in our passage, he finds himself in a very similar circumstance. He's familiar with this. In the background of Psalm 46 was a time when the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by an invading foreign army. Defeat looked inevitable for the people of God. The situation was hopeless, and there was no way to escape. So what does the psalmist do? He picks up his pen, and he writes to encourage and remind the people of God that there is such an anchor for you, that there is such a shelter that provides protection and peace when crisis arises. He says to the people, the Lord, the God who made us is our refuge in this time of crisis. And that's my task this morning, is to try to sort of borrow from the psalmist and encourage you so that your heart is warmed by the almighty God who is your refuge. Karish Church the main point of this sermon this morning is that the Lord God is your refuge. He is your refuge. And my prayer for you is that your hearts, weary, tired, rejoicing in the Lord, would be gripped and warmed by this all-powerful, all-present, heart-gladdening God that we behold together in this passage this morning. So as we walk through this text, I want to give you three points of encouragement to meditate on. And if you pay careful attention, you'd see that they just uh, are naturally laid out by the psalmist. The first point is that because God is your refuge, do not fear, verses 1 through 3. Because God is your refuge, be glad, rejoice, be full of joy verses 4 through 7. Because God is your refuge, behold him, look to him, see him, verses 8 through 11. And I'll repeat that just again so you can uh, remember. Because God is your refuge, Chorus, brother, sister, believer in the Lord Jesus, do not fear, be glad, and behold him. So our first point Because God is your refuge, do not fear. Verses 1 through 3. The psalmist opens up with a declaration speaking about who God is. He lays out the character of God for the people. He puts God before the people. And he draws application and encouragement that's rooted and grounded in the person of God and the person of Jesus for us today. And he's doing this so that their faith would be strengthened And so that they would have encouragement and and confidence in the Lord who is their God. So he does this thing where he's like, here's what God is like, therefore live this way. Here's who God is and respond this way. So look at me at verse 1, Psalm 46, 1. God is your refuge and strength, 
a very present help in trouble. That is Elohim, the Almighty God, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who created the sun, the moon, and the stars, the mountains, and the seas, the highly exalted God, the one who made you and I, that God is himself, not something else, is himself your refuge, your place of peace and rest and solace and respite from all that would assail you. And in case you didn't know, a refuge is a place of safety. It's a place of security, the place you go to for protection. You guys can think of, some of you are from Oklahoma, you have lots of tornadoes, so you're probably familiar with um, hiding, <laughs> hiding away from tornadoes. But that's what's in view, that's what's in the mind of the psalmist. It's that God is a place of safety. He himself makes his presence known to you so that you are safe and secure and protected in him. He also goes on to add that God is our strength. In other words, he's speaking of God's upholding strength, that God is able to just support us and hold us, sort of like a, 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 a what do you call those, uh, puppets. <laughs> you know, like God is able to uphold us and strengthen us when we are weak and frail and falling and, and, and our, our knees are weak and we're not able to support ourselves because we're so overwhelmed by the weight of crisis and the weight of trials and suffering. God is our strength. You and I, we, we cannot face the raging seas. We don't have strength in ourselves. We see the psalmist use that uh, illustration in verses 2. We need something, someone that would constantly supply us with strength that upholds us. The psalmist further builds on this by adding that God is a very present help. In trouble. Well, the psalmist probably understands that God is omnipresent, which just means that God is present everywhere all the time, right? But I don't think that's really what he's trying to say here when he says that God is a very present help in trouble. What he's really trying to get his readers, his audience, and us to see is that the Lord is especially near to his people. He's in the very midst of the challenging circumstances that his people are facing. God is in the very midst of your suffering and of your trial. The Lord can be found in our most desperate times. When the world, the flesh, and the devil come after us, the Lord doesn't skip out of town. He doesn't say, hey, I'm I'm heading to the store to grab some milk and then doesn't come back. <laughs> no, he is near. He is ever present. He makes his nearness known to his people. The Lord can be found and he is near to you and he is near to me and he is near to his people. I hope you believe this this morning. I hope you're drawn to this God this morning, I hope you can see that a near God is worth 
worshiping. He's worth delighting in. He's worth beholding. Because I think what the psalmist is trying to do by portraying the Lord in this way is to get the people moving. He's trying to, to motivate them, right? He's pointing out uh, these things about God, about his protective presence, his constant supply of strength, and his special nearness to his people, and his upholding strength to us so that people are drawn to him, so that they come to him, so that they entrust themselves to him by faith. He wants his listeners to seek refuge in the Lord, to claim him, to say, the Lord is my refuge. He is my rest. He is my strength. And in him, I have abundant help that can be found nowhere else. The Lord is our refuge and our strength. The same invitation, Carus, is extended to you. Come and trust yourself to the Lord. Take refuge in him. Come under his care and protection by faith. And just so you don't misunderstand, this is not exclusive to just physical rescue and care. You don't have to be uh, running away from a terrorist group for the Lord to come and take care of you. In fact, physical salvation is not always guaranteed to the people of God, right? And that should not cause us to despair because death doesn't have the final say. (laughs) So, your crisis could be emotional, it could be financial, it could be relational, whatever the nature is. We're all sufferers. That's what it means to live in a fallen and broken world. We all suffer. We all go through it. All of us. Not just you, Darren. All of us. We all suffer. And so God is saying, hey guys, you guys have a common problem. You all share in this together. None of you are exempt from this. You all suffer. You all suffer. People cut you off in traffic. Yeah, that's suffering. In America, at least. We all suffer. Your coffee order gets made wrong. We all suffer. I'm using these trivial examples to show you that even the littlest of things get to us and they cause us so much sorrow and grief in this life. We need help. We need a refuge. We need the Lord to intervene, to come to us, to make his presence known to us, to make his strength with us. Therefore, we will not fear, verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, what the psalmist is trying to do is draw our attention to what happens in the heart of someone that has taken refuge in the Lord. He says, Because you've taken refuge in the Lord, you're not afraid. He's saying that the heart that is entrusted to the Lord, a heart that is confident in the promises of God, will not fear. Even if everything were to be flipped upside down, the creation becoming uncreated, 
the mountains falling into the hearts of the sea, everything falling apart, everything that's stable, Everest, the Grand Canyon. Many of you probably like uh, hiking in uh, Smoky Mountains. Uh, what, what are some other ones? Uh, the one in Seattle. You get the gist. All of that falling apart. The glaciers. Yeah, let's go. Let's go with that. <laughs> All of that falling apart. And it's figurative, right? But the idea here is that when everything that's stable, that's so grand and powerful, is being flipped upside its head, the heart that is entrusted to the Lord, the heart that takes refuge in the Lord, will not fear. Nah. He can't mean that, right? <laughs> I, uh, on reading these uh, verses, I was taken back to um, a family vacation um, from really early in my life. I was about maybe five or six years old, so really, really young Benga. And if you care, it was 2001, so you can do the math. <laughs> so my family, we, we took a trip to the beach, and this beach sits on the Atlantic Ocean. And everyone was having a good time, right? They were having fun. My, I was the youngest kid, so my older siblings were having a blast. I remember my brother was riding a horse, taking a bunch of photos, and at one point, I too rode on that horse with my brother. I may or may not have been crying in that photo. And that's because five-year-old me was overwhelmed by the might and the grandeur and the vastness of the ocean, right? I saw this big body of water, waves crashing, everything just going, and I've never seen that before. I lived close to the desert, you know, that's where our hometown was. And so this was very overwhelming for me. I was convinced I was going to die. My mom was trying to get me close to, <laughs> to the shore to put my feet in the water, and I was kicking and screaming and punching her. Do you want to kill me? Do you want to kill me? And she tells that story all the time. <laughs> I was so scared. I was afraid. The water was too great for me. Needless to say, I was fairly relieved when I found out that the psalmist was merely being poetic. <laughs> He's employing this imagery to cast some sense of the immense gravity of what the people of God are facing. And then he says, yeah, the oceans, they can rage all they want. The mountains, sure, they can collapse into themselves. We won't break a sweat. Super easy, barely an inconvenience. We will not fear. This is what should naturally follow. A heart grounded and anchored in the Lord will not fear, no matter what. Let's look at some cross-references. I was at home studying this the other day, and I live with Bukuru, who's seated over there. And I was telling him about my passage, and he goes, bro, Psalm 27, read that. And I was like, yes, Wukuru, such an encouragement. Man, life on life is great. Living in community with brothers and sisters that can point you to the Lord and encourage you and say, bro, there's this gem over there. There's this promise, this sweet thing, this honey 
go, consume, take, eat. So yeah, this is uh, courtesy of Bukuru. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The truth is, this is a grand truth. It's beautiful. It's glorious. This is what the Lord extends to us. And he says, come. But the reality is this. We struggle. We struggle. I struggle. I struggled with this this week. Ask Darren. I was at his house, nervous. Bro, I'm not going <laughs> to figure this out. And he said, bro, are you, are you believing this? That you're about to preach? That God is with you? That God is present with you? That God is your refuge in this? Do you believe that this morning? I wrote down three things that uh, my little brain thought, maybe these are some common reasons that people might struggle with. And the first that comes to mind is that it's hard, it's hard for what's in our heads to make its way down into our hearts. You've probably heard this before, and that's because it's true. You probably hear this every week if you attend church regularly. The heart and the head need to connect, right? We are prone to repeating the same folly over and over again. And the solution for us is regular reminders, right? And we need to pray that God would move what's in the mind down into our hearts, right? And if you have so much stuff stuck in your head and it's not making its way down into your heart, you will suffer a type of constipation. And you don't, you don't want that. There's no pills for that. So pray that the Lord would move what's in your mind, what you know about him, down into your heart. A second reason why we might struggle with this could be that seeking refuge in God seems uninteresting. It's boring. It's lame. You know, we have a level of prosperity and, and comforts in the first world, so we don't really bother. We couldn't be bothered, right? The truth is, if you're not taking refuge in the Lord, you're taking refuge in something else. It's not nothing, and it's not God. Good luck. <laughs> and I don't say that to be mean, but really, good luck. Good luck. It's going to fail you. It's going to fail you. 
right? Like the military, I, you know, growing up in Nigeria, I was like, yeah, they'll, they'll protect us, right? They have the guns, they have the tanks. Trouble comes, they're like, see ya. I don't get paid enough for this, I'm out. They'll fail you. Trust in the Lord. A third is perhaps one that's more tender. Maybe, maybe you struggle with, with assurance. Maybe you struggle with assurance of salvation. And so your sense of belonging to the Lord and being protected by Him is weak, if at all even present. And I want you to take heart. I want to encourage you to, to seek out people, to bring people in. People who will believe God on behalf of you. People who will pray to see God fan that dying flame of faith in your heart. And I want you to know that God wants you to have assurance. God wants every believer to know that they belong to him. And I hope that you don't feel condemned by any means. <laughs> I want to tell you, Jesus gives us grace upon grace. There's grace for you to turn, to set your gaze on the Lord. There's grace for you to do that. It's not too late to entrust yourself to the Lord. And uh, there's a potential danger, I think, with this that I wanted to point out. And I've titled it The Danger of Naivete, or Naivety. I don't know. English is my third language, so <laughs> pardon me. <laughs> so imagine a person who is listening and, you know, and kind of nodding. It's like, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and the back of their mind is probably Andy Minio's, you can't stop me. And, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm strong. I won't fear in the Lord. And maybe like Peter in the Bible, they put confidence in the flesh. And they say something like, yeah, Lord, I'll never deny you. Yeah, I'll never deny you. And uh, <laughs> there's a quote from one of my favorite films. It's called Tenet. And it goes something like this, that we all believe that we'd run into the burning building. <laughs> but until we feel that heat, <laughs> you can never know. Humble yourself. Don't presume. Don't put confidence in the flesh that when trials come that you can stand relying on your own strength. Believe in the Lord. The point of this is that the Lord is the one that no one can stop. Take refuge in Him. He is the one, not you. You're not the hero. You're like a, a little kangaroo that's sitting in a pouch of its mom that's <laughs> being bounced around. That's you in the pouch. And the Lord is your shield, your refuge, your protector. So humble yourself and believe in the Lord. Second point is that God is your refuge, so be glad. Now, I know earlier I talked about my fear of large bodies of water, and the irony is that some of you know this about me. I'm kind of a snob when it comes to drinking water. So just a different kind of water. Yeah, I lived with Ben. I lived with 
uh, Bukuru, and they, they all know this about me. I don't drink water at MC. Sorry, Darren. It's just, that's just who I am. And uh, in my old house, I used to um, go and fill up empty gallons of water at my neighbor's house because they had a Kooligan filter. Kooligan water is delicious. <laughs> it's great. It's refreshing. It gladdens, oh no. Many of you probably relate, Angela. I know you like LaCroix. I house sat for you, and I drank a few of your uh, bubbly, <laughs> bubbly cans of water. <laughs> or maybe you like AHA. You know, Diego has a bunch of those at his house. He's like, bro, you've had four. Calm down. <laughs> but each of us probably has some beverage in our, heart, in, our, in our lives that bring us some sense of refreshment and relief, right? And now in verses 4, we encounter a different kind of refreshment, right? The psalmist describes this river whose manifold streams are laden not with LaCroix, not with Coligan water, not with Aha, but with sweet graces from the heart of God flowing directly into the hearts of his people. And in this next section, we're going to see really how the Lord is stepping in and how he's acting and how he's doing something about the foreign invaders. And at the same time, we're going to see him gladdening the hearts of the people of the city, the citizens of the city. Now, if you remember the context, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by foreign invaders. You know, if you were to plan an attack, you would want your opponents to be weak, right? You would want them to be destabilized and ineffective. So during that time, a common tactic for a siege on a city that's walled in would be to cut off water supplies, right? And humans can only live for like three days, tops, without water. Rachel, I see you nodding, doctor. <laughs> and I remember growing up, the, the, you know, the terrorist group in my town, they, they did something similar, right? They destroyed all the cell phone towers. They blew up all the power infrastructure. And this was to stifle communication so people couldn't reach out, people couldn't alert and say, hey, this place is being attacked, like, don't go there, right? Like, you guys get amber alerts. They're like, something is happening. Like, be alert, be aware. They wanted to cut all of that off to throw off the army, to throw off the people so they could easily attack, right? But the psalmist here, he is confident, right, that... Even though our enemies have this tactic of, of cutting off the water, of stopping the flow of what sustains us, they can never cut off this river in the city that is the presence of God and His graces that's constantly flowing into the hearts of the people of God. The psalmist is confident that the Lord will sustain His flow of grace to His people. 
He's confident that the Lord will sustain him and the people with joy. Jesus says in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And this joy, it, it comes to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, he, he lives in us. He indwells us, right? This verse talks about the holy habitation or dwelling places of the Most High. It's referring to our hearts, that God lives inside of us. I think of uh, the opening to uh, Lion King. I've seen that film like a hundred times. We had it on VHS. And one summer, that's all I did every single day is watch Lion King over and over again. He lives in us, Ea, in the mala. <laughs> you can correct me on the language later, Bakuru. But the idea is God lives in us, not Mufasa, not a roaring you know, lion the jungle, but God himself takes residence in our hearts. God is in the midst of us, right? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? So I want to encourage you with these many promises that are listed in this verse before us. The unmovable God lives in us. He lives in you. Therefore, we ourselves will not be moved when trials come. The God who dwells in us promises to help us. Remember, the Holy Spirit, he's called a helper, right? And God will always be on time for you. He will always show up to care. He will take action and speak on your behalf. When the world rages against you, God will speak for you. So be glad. Be glad, brothers and sisters. Be glad. God is in you, and he will speak on your behalf. Be glad. I want to share some words from a hymn that I really love singing. It's a bit long, so please bear with me. The hymn is called How Firm a Foundation. I couldn't decide on which verses to pick which ones to cut out, so I kind of put the whole thing. So, yeah, six song, no, seven song, Jeff. <laughs> How firm a foundation. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you. Your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your your dross to consume, and your gold to refine. The soul, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Amen. Our God will never desert you. He will never forsake you. 
He'll never leave you. He's with you in the midst of crisis. Be glad, brothers and sisters. And finally, uh, my third point is, because God is your refuge, behold him. This is from verses 8 through 11. Now the psalmist is calling the people to see what the Lord has done, the aftermath of the battle. Verses 8, come and behold the works of the Lord. This is an invitation to contemplate what the Lord has done on behalf of his people. He has dealt with the opposition, finally. He has put an end to the war. And there's a kingdom he's establishing, right? And that's a sense that we get in in verse 9. This future that God promises where wars will cease and, and no longer be a thing, right? It hints towards a kingdom that God is preparing. And I want to tell you, church, that God is preparing for us something more permanent and more glorious than even this ground that I'm standing on. And he's fighting off all of our enemies to take us there. Another thing that we see is this call to be still, to cease striving and just sit back and relax and behold, right? To see the victory that God has won for us. This psalm itself is an example of this, right? The psalmist is reflecting on the victory that God has won, and he's celebrating it by writing it. He turned it into a worship song. Some of you encounter something in your life, and your instinct perhaps is to write a diss track. Right, Patrick? (laughs) The psalmist here He doesn't do that. He writes a worship song for the people of God to sing and to celebrate and to rejoice in and to reflect on what the Lord has done. And I think we can do the same. We should do the same. We should sit and ponder and think on what the Lord has done, how he's delivered us from hard situations, right? Recall answered prayers. I know some people keep a list. I prayed for this. I saw the Lord answer on this date. Praise the Lord. I shared it with my MC. Praise the Lord. Right? Some of you have found favor and doors opened. Share those. Recount those. Praise the Lord. Some situations in your life have been stuck for so long, and the Lord made them unstuck. Recall that and praise the Lord. Right? There's a lot for us there to give thanks to the Lord and recount his victory in our life. But ultimately, I think what this passage is really trying to get us to do is to behold the Lord Jesus. And I'll end here. We should behold Jesus in how he came to be with us. right? Emmanuel, God with us. Um, I moved into a new house with my friend over there, Bakura, and another friend, and we're like, what's the verse of our house? And we're like, ah, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we said, no. Actually, let's choose this verse. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The presence of God with us. Right? 
Behold the Lord who came and took flesh and dwelt amongst us and dwelt with us. God is in the midst of us. He's among us. We behold him in how he himself walked through trials and how he walked through crisis. Our brother Peter records for us saying that when Jesus suffered, he entrusted himself to the Father as his refuge. Nothing fancy. Trusting in his Father. Relying on his Father. We behold him on the cross, lifted up, exalted as it were, to defeat our enemies and to take on God's wrath for us. We behold him and the Father sending the Holy Spirit so he can live in us, so he can dwell in us. We behold him in glory. Reading from Paul here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We praise you, Lord, for what you've done and the fact that you extend yourself to us and invite us to take refuge in you. And that's only possible through the work of Christ on our behalf. So I pray, Lord, for everyone here that's listening, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would make your nearness known to your people, God. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.